Chris Jones is one of three living hosts of the retired comics podcast, Paper Keg. He grew up reading comics, books, and listening to Aerosmith, but on this episode, he suggested we talk about the 1986 film Highlander. The film narrates the climax of an ages-old battle between immortal warriors depicted through interwoven past and present-day storylines. In one section, Sean Connery trains Christopher Lambert to become an expert swordsman. And in present day, Clancy Brown hunts Lambert to become the only remaining immortal. Shockingly, Queen wrote several songs for the film and were all the better for it. This is your old pal Slim, and you're listening to Link in Bio. I remember seeing Highlander at like an inappropriately young age. Like I think I was like 10 or 11. You know, back in the day in the Philadelphia area, uh, you didn't, if you wanted to watch movies and TV, you couldn't afford HBO. So you got Prism. Remember Prism? Channel 14 on the old Philadelphia Comcast network. And that so, was the only place you could watch Flyers games too was on Prism. It's like the imagining a world where you can only watch Flyers games on like Cinemax. That was the equivalent. Well, funny, funny thing about that. My father used to work uh, at night for McNeil Pharmacy and he would record the Flyers games, not realizing that, you know, it was a six hour tape. And after the game, usually the nudie movies would come on. So there was always like some sense of dread where we would rewatch the games together that, you know, was was another stakeout coming on. Was Highlander coming on or was it, you know, some some silk stockings remake right well it's funny you say that because i was watching (laughs) highlander with james and i purposefully looked up like what is it kid conscious website where like (laughs) they tell you what age group your child should be to see this movie and they didn't mention nudity but there is some nudity fyi it was and ross uh mulcahy does some of the best cinema uh, cinematography on christoph lambert's butt and that love scene. I know we're skipping way ahead, but so anyway, first time I see Highlander, I'm like 11. I want to say 11. It feels right because I remember uh-huh. watching this series coming home from school, like between like sixth, seventh, eighth grade in high school. So I see the movie on a on a. My father was a big bootlegger of VHS tapes. Oh wow, I didn't know that. So you would get Highlander one, and then you know. Next shift would be like batteries not included. So sometimes the the bad movie was first, and you had to fast forward for what felt like an hour. Amazing until you got to the good movie. What was the quality of the bootleg? Was this just a copy of like the actual VHS that was sold, or was it like theater or something? No, it was definitely like the the H or the Prism. Like every series used to have like a, a movie theater. Uh, oh, type yeah. intro remember that yeah yeah. and yeah. prisms was like a like a actual rainbow that turned into a tape that was being spe- like spilled mm. so um i i saw it <laughs> then it was the first i can't remember what the the b-side of that movie was but uh i saw it at 11 years old and i instantly fell in love with it because it had sean connor it had james bond in it yeah so i i reckon it was the only person i recognized and i think i must have watched it at that point, 10 times in a summer mm-hmm. and going back and watch it 20 years, you know, 25 years later, 
total different experience. But I, I can remember watching on a little color TV with the VHS was built into the TV. Oh, yeah. Four I had by to three. Go, I had to go to my dad's impossibly heavy oak cabinet with all his bootleg tapes. And he had a uh, like a notebook that was numbered. All the movies were numbered. And then he had each VHS tape had a little yellow dot with a number on it. <laughs> so you had to use a guide to find it was it. And I mean, watching this movie again has brought up so many great memories of like how to find tapes in my house. Of course, it would be my father that made it an intricate list uh-huh. instead of just labeling the tapes. I, I was just about to ask why not just label the tapes themselves. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I don't even think I've ever seen this movie altogether. I probably remember seeing bits and pieces on PHL 17, but I remember when Sean Connery PHL appeared on 17. Sc- <laughs> When Sean Connery appeared on screen, I had like flashbacks of him quitting League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and quitting acting forever because it was so bad. And I was thinking to myself, like, what is Sean Connery doing in this movie? It was such a strange role. He's not the lead character. He's like a supporting character who is one of the Highlanders. He's immortal. But he's he says he's Egyptian and he has a Spanish name, and he's wearing oh, man. The, one of the most elaborate getups you'll ever see. And I was like, I was just gobsmacked of what I was witnessing. It was amazing. He probably should have just bought an infinity scarf from halfdoubledesign.com, not your granny's crochet. If you're in the market for a new scarf, like Sean Connery should have been, look no further than Half Double Design. Have you seen those blankets and princess wigs? You kidding me? Amanda's waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it. Check out halfdoubledesign.com for more. I, you know, the fandom will get very upset with you for calling all immortals Highlanders, even <laughs> though I do it constantly. I know that that's a pet peeve of, of, uh, what's the difference between an immortal and a Highlander or is Highlander well, like the last one? Well, he's from the Highlands of Scotland. Oh, I see. So he's a Highlander. Um, but no, I mean, you definitely get the sensation that, uh, Sean Connery worked about two weeks on this production and probably got some absurd paycheck because it was his name that brought the crowd in. Mm. But, you know, there's a funny bit of trivia. He and Christoph Lambert met on this film, first time they met, and they're actually, they became lifelong best friends. Wow. There's Yeah, they in fact, they still call each other by their characters' names. Get out. That's, yeah, it was a lifelong bond on the side. So we can thank Highlander for... Uh, BFF between Christoph Lambert and, and it's, Sean Connery. It's amazing the way you pronounce Christoph Lambert. It's almost as if you visited him and lived in his castle for a few <laughs> weeks. The only way I know how to pronounce it, and I don't even know if it's right, is from more, his Mortal Kombat role. And I just call him Christopher oh, Lord Lambert. Raiden. Yeah. <laughs> Which he even has his signature chuckle in Mortal Kombat that I've heard for the first time. And he did it in this movie. He does this like His weird kind of hey. lazy. Yeah. It's like a ha ha ha. It's not even really a laugh. It's so strange. <laughs> I wonder if that was, I don't know if he ever wanted to, because he's been in, in a lot of bad action movies. Like he definitely followed the JCVD school of, you know, like low rent action movies. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that was his attempt to coin like his own, I'll be back. <laughs> Right. Like, hey, hey, hey. That's all it is. Yeah. And you know, on the set of Mortal Kombat, they're like, Christopher, give us the laugh in this scene if you can. We need it. We need to promote this movie. You got it. The fate of billions will depend upon you. <laughs> Sorry. Because such Highlander was such a big hit. 
that they really wanted that audience. <laughs> that probably got him Mortal that Kombat. role. Yeah. He looked he looked the same age too in Mortal Kombat, and in, even uh, now he looks pretty good. Yeah, he's aged quite well. Being married to now, Diane Lane for many years, I guess will do that to you. Oh my word, Christoph off the presses. Good, have mercy. The first time I've ever seen this movie, right off the bat, the Queen music to open the movie that gives it such a such a cachet right oh, off yeah. the bat. I was like, oh my cred. god, what is happening? This Queen is, is producing mu- music for this film. This is going to be amazing. They had asked uh, Freddie Mercury and Brian May to do one song for this film. This is like Hollywood legend. So they had a private screening of um, Highlander just for the band Queen. And they, from the movie, they wrote the album, A Kind of Magic. Like they saw the movie, wanted to do one or two songs, did a whole album based on the movie. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) That is a crazy story i I can't even like looking back that seems insane well i wonder if that's i I just can't even believe it it's so insane and what brian may i think he talked about and this is this some of this is for memory now i didn't call imdb Hmm. um that the montage where heather gets older every time they cut to her like towards the end of the movie ramirez has told connor to leave his wife because they can't have children and he'll never age Mm-hmm. And he was so inspired by that he wrote "Who Wants to Live Forever," the song they play in that montage. Unreal, which is song. crazy. Right? It was like it was so it was so perfect in that scene too. This yeah, movie it, would have gotten taken down so many notches if it didn't have the Queen music. It would to be back so forgettable. I mean, yeah. as soon as the the opening Connery kind of like one liner, you know, many years we've been among you, whatever. I used to know it um, off the top of my head. And then write it in Princess of the Universe, you're like pumped as soon mm-hmm. as that starts. And then they cut in with the wrestling. You're like, what am I even watching? Yeah. And then it starts. I mean, Russell Mulcahy, the guy who directed it, was pretty much blacklisted after Highlander 2. But this was his opportunity to kind of get his name out there. And I think you have to admit, the movie's beautifully shot. It is. I mean, the practical transitions between the Highlands of Scotland to New York, you know, using like photo flash and uh, what do you use a couple of times, um, like aquarium, stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. like a really great way to transition. And they liked it so much, they stole that for every episode of the, the series starring Adrian Paul. Mm. That became their hook. I actually, I, I know we both said that it would be taken down a few notches without the Queen music, but there were certain scenes, I think the montage where when him... Uh, and Sean Connery were training oh, and running. Yeah. The musical pieces in those scenes was actually really good like yeah, for this movie. Um, that piece of music, it's actually just called Training Montage. And I think the, <laughs> Dot the MP3. Pro, it's like it's like a big hit for uh, like the City of Prague Orchestra. Like it's like I can't tell, I can't tell if you're my leg or not. I'm not. It's like um, what we were just talking about. Uh, Bruce Lee uh, movie. Oh, Dragon Bruce Lee story. Yeah, like that piece of music is just lifted 
mm. time and time again. I love that music. The, the, the movie opens with the queen and, uh, Christopher Lambert, uh, going to a wrestling event with mm-hmm. the fabulous Freebirds, who I know of just from being a total wrestling nerd and looking back and seeing them. I just have to pause for a second and just remind people that these two, these three men, mainly the two of them were not, you know, Adonis's. They didn't have the best physique that you can see oh, in no. wrestling today, but women and probably men would do anything to have relations with these wrestlers. Like if you saw these two men now, you would not believe what I just said. I mean, it but was they, dad they got it. before that was a, a work like the Harry Pop bellies. <laughs> You know what I mean? They, yeah, they look d- good. They're little tight uh, red shorts and their booties. If I, I mean, mean, imagine a world where dad bods are the most desirable physiques on the planet. And that's what wrestling was in the 80s. It Excellent. was insane. Without a doubt. They were just entertainers, man. They weren't athletes back then. Not like <laughs> they are today. I thought it was funny how Christopher Lambert, um, he's watching the wrestling show and he's having these like vivid flashbacks of actual war. And like the wrestling event is, <laughs> is setting him off and he's like getting perturbed at current society for enjoying the, like the show and the, the, the battle, whereas he lived it and he had to leave. It was like so silly <laughs> for that moment to give him like PTSD. Well, I have a, I have a rejoinder. Um, I think the reason that he left is because he sensed that Fasil was there. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm making myself to be a huge Highlander nerd. That's Maybe fine. I'm parting the, the kimono, the Ramirez flowery kimono. Yeah. But they have like a like a local alert system built in to their heads where they kind of know when one of them is around. So I don't know if he was as mad at wrestling as he was mm-hmm. that he knew that the other guy was there waiting for him. Who was the character you just mentioned? Because I thought the one... Maybe that I'm thinking of is Kurgan. Is that his first so name? Or? Yeah, there's only, well, he's the Kurgan. Uh, okay. There was only a handful, I think, of Immortals in this movie. There's Castagir, which is the uh, the guy at the end who he has a drink with on the bridge. There's the mm-hmm. Kurgan. There's was that Amiris. supposed to be Japan, was that, where that guy was? It looked no, like I they, think were they were in Central Park. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, th- it didn't, I think he was wearing Castagir like a, just a wears a kimono. kimono. In Central yeah. Park. And I was like, is that supposed to be Japan that they're in? Because it looks like, you know, a metropolitan city. Well, back to Strange Highlander trivia. He was supposed to fight two sort, with two short Japanese swords, but they didn't have uh-huh. time to train him and film, film it. <sighs> that guy so, looked like he, they cast him the night before and they threw him into this movie. <laughs> absolutely. Who is that guy? <laughs> they, he could have uh, been the DP with a com- <laughs> <they're> greatest <laughs> commando on. <laughs> Guys, we didn't cast it. I'm going to have to fill in today on this character. Hopefully we can recast it and reshoot it in a couple of months. I just happen they, to have a sad card. <laughs> <laughs> this scene, too, just cracked me up because Lambert uh, reconnects with another immortal in allegedly Central Park. And they, they meet up and they're having the laugh. And they're having this conversation like, oh, when was the last time we saw each other? Oh, 800 years ago, we were having a drink. I'm like, get the F out of <laughs> yeah. here. You're going to remember something like that 800 years ago? It's such no bull crap. It definitely, it. definitely so they could just justify like a fencing scene. Yeah. So the, And then even the fencing yeah. scene was kind of confusing to me. They showed Lambert kind of drunk 
um, I don't know what year it was, but they were having like a duel and he and Lambert's drunk. He's just getting like murdered with this guy's sword and he's getting embarrassed. But the guy that's killing him, this kind of Weasley dude keeps egging him on and Lambert finally gets up and just kind of walks away and the bad guy turns around and shoots his Weasley partner. Was there like a reason? I even turned subtitles on to hear like what this guy said to like, why did he just shoot that guy? Well, that was never in the theatrical release. I noticed on Amazon it has the uh, oh. director's cut. It's like the the 25th anniversary. It's like extra minutes. Okay. Like So the scene where he rescues Rachel from Nazis wasn't in a theatrical release either. Oh my gosh. That's an yeah. amazing scene. He and has the actually, secretary who is like in on the thing where he's an immortal. And then she's like super helpful. She's like his Alfred, so to speak. And so he runs like an antique company. He's filthy rich at this point, obviously. But they show a flashback where he rescues this little girl from Nazis, which I thought was a fantastic scene. And it gives you this amazing backstory of his secretary that has mm-hmm. been with him for so many years. I can't believe that wasn't in the theatrical cut. Yeah, that was cut. I mean, and that's where the line, it's kind of magic, comes from. Because mm. he says that to her because she's scared that he comes back to life. And so then it in the theatrical version, uh, when he goes to leave for the final fight against the Kurgan, he's getting on his leather jacket and put his katana away. And she says, you know, even if you beat him, you're not going to come back. And he says, it's kind of magic. If you don't source it for when they it first met, make any sense. the line makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how it was in 1986, you know, DP yeah, was filling in on actors. In continuity was not like a big thing they worried about when filming I, this movie, I think, or editing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questionable, like the scene where they sh- they go back to where he was a Highland, like in the Highlands, he's riding a horse, he's got the long flowing hair, and where he first becomes immortal, like when he tries to talk with an accent, you're just like, well, what is this accent he's doing? This doesn't make any sense. And everyone else has an accent. Yeah, and well, the they one hired thing I, the Frenchman to play the Scot, and they hired the Scot to play the right, Spaniard. Exactly. So alleged Spaniard Egyptian. The one thing I did like was uh, I liked the movie. I I think I, there was some trepidation because Jonesy saw my Letterboxd review uh, a couple of days oh, ago. Oh, I but, did. <laughs> <laughs> which my one sentence review was WTF did I just watch. Um, where uh, McLeod wakes up after being killed in battle and he like the his townspeople see him. They they hate him because they think it's like the devil's work that he's alive, yeah. and they like ca- they cast him away, which I thought was pretty deep burn for for poor uh, Connor uh, to have his loved ones not welcome him back, and that's how he kind of like goes away, lives with his girlfriend, and meets Sean Connery. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I, they revisit that in the fourth movie, and it's it, it's very poignant. Like uh, when Ramirez talks about. Um, you know, because you're different, men will cast you out. And it's not like if this would have happened in 2018, a guy comes back from the dead, it would have been a medical miracle. There would have, you know, it wouldn't have been this. But back then, yeah, the only thing they know is witchcraft. Hmm. So you, you imagine how many, I don't know, how many immortals are there? 150, 25, who knows? Yeah. But still, each immortal life starts out as pretty, pretty much a bummer. So if I were them, I'd want to get it over with too. <laughs> the, the the actor who played Kurgan, I'm like 99% sure that's the guy that voiced Lex Luthor in the Superman animated series. That guy's amazing. Clancy Brown, awesome actor. 
he 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 appears in his in his flashbacks as the guy who killed uh, Sean Connery with the beheading. Every beheading in this scene in this movie is just a, a delight. It, like oh, yeah. I watched James was watching it with me, and probably they, not a good idea. But it's so dated that even James was like that. That looked like a dummy. Like he was like calling out how fake it looked, which which made me feel better that he was watching it with me. Um, which we didn't even mention too the the initial scene of the whole movie with um Lambert fights an immortal in like a parking lot this guy in a business mm-hmm. suit attire who looks like he he couldn't even th- wield a sword on his best day is in immortal and he has this amazing fight scene with Lambert and he gets beheaded in the parking lot uh I thought that was a great opening to the movie yeah and I what I'm really impressed by watching it now at 30 uh, 36 versus 11 is that this this was done this choreography wasn't done by like stunt masters like you would think today's standards it would have to be some over the top sword fight that would be the only way to sell it mm-hmm. but this simple like just trading blows and the good guy almost doesn't make it a couple times like this is much more realistic of how what i imagine a sword fight would be mm. rather than something fancy and wire work we would get today and it was yeah. fun i mean you got some weird talking guy mumbling to himself what a katana fight a guy in like a $10,000 Italian suit. After you just watch about 10 minutes of wrestling, you're like, what is this movie? 15 minutes in, you're like, what am I watching? Yeah. And then you, you haven't even really hit the flashbacks. Cause like a, you know, quarter of the movie are flashbacks with Sean Connery training him. And I, I wrote down specifically, um, Connery. He said something that really shocked me. Oh, well, Connery has this backstory about how he doesn't want Lambert to be, be in a relationship with a woman because it just leads to pain, obviously, because he'll live forever. And then he just has to watch the woman die. And he said something along the lines of how he explained how he got a sword in in Japan. And right. it was, the backstory itself is not spectacular. It's just the way he names these characters. But he says he was born in like a certain year and... He hadn't had, he's like, the last woman I had in, was in Japan. And it was like 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, are, like, it's just unfathomable that if you're an immortal, you're going to go 500 years without being in a relationship with another woman. Yeah, like, uh, they really don't portray immortality as something cool mm-hmm. in this movie. It's more of a burden than it is anything fun. Uh, and maybe that's what they're trying to do with the uh, Castigar scene where they're like, oh, this could be fun. You could die 29 times in a row and get back up. You know? But And that's one of the uh, the most tragic parts about the movie. And they illustrate that perfectly with Heather, um, his girlfriend or his wife in the movie. And uh, there are times when you're like, since I've seen all the movies and all that, like you forget coming back to the first one to the source of it all like what a tragic hero mcleod is versus like he's not like a a chivalrous guy even he's not really that nice to brenda wyatt his love interest Mm -hmm. i would say borderline just has no time of day for yeah the only person he cares about is ramirez and rachel and ramirez has been dead 400 years at this point by the time (laughs) this movie takes place so it's you kind of feel bad for the guy you know, sitting in lonely bars, drinking Glenmorangie by himself, listening Morning to Queen duster. records. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no matter what time of day, no matter what outfit <laughs> he has on under it, could be a blue sweatshirt and jeans, could be a three-piece suit. He's wearing a, a tan duster. 
Oh my god, we we lived in the wrong decade. The 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 part where Kurgan uh he's on the hunt, Lex Luthor's voice. He's on the hunt for the last Highlander, so he's taken he's on the hunt for the last immortal. He's killed the non actor in the kimono from Japan, mm-hmm. the black guy. The DP. Yeah, the D the DP stepping in for that day, <laughs> who ended up just being in the movie. And a brutal actually that was a beautiful beautifully shot scene where the one there's like this one weird like army dude who views their fight scene in an alley very well shot very well lit like there are certain angles in that scene where that guy is looking at the fight and you can see the shadows on the the this on the the brick wall of the building very beautiful uh, which I wasn't expecting but the <clears throat> scene later because Kurgan gets hurt he is his neck gets slashed he has safety pins covering holding his neck together yeah and one of the uh, grossest things i've ever witnessed that well that's two scenes in this movie that probably are categorically categorically my favorite looking back the fight between ramirez and kurgan in the home when ramirez gets killed was blew my mind just like the walls exploding and there's like the unfinished staircase and it, yeah. it was so fantastical it was really neat uh, Sean Connery's stunt double doing triple work <laughs> on that scene. <clears throat> uh, and I really like the, the scene right after, uh, Castagir is beheaded when he, when McLeod is lighting the candle for Heather in the church and the Kurgan shows up and they have like that exchange, like they haven't seen each other probably, you know, taking away their brief fight in the alleyway earlier in the movie. Haven't seen each other maybe since, and I think it's alluded to since Kurgan killed Ramirez. Mm-hmm. So now they're finally squaring up the fight he has prepared his whole life for. And it's just the two of them left. I mean, it's that scene is so well acted by Can- uh, Clancy Brown. That has got to be in his highlight reel for like every audition he did <laughs> after this movie. I loved the makeup that, he had in towards the end of the movie because he shaves his head to like go incognito. Mm-hmm. But the makeup that they use, it just looked like his head was maybe four inches higher. Like they didn't really tape down whatever hair he had. <laughs> it was just brutal. And there's like a random spot. It could be his own hair still yeah. like going through the ball cap. <laughs> the other part that cracked me up was um, what's Connor McLeod's like present day name? It's like something Nash. Russell Nash. Russell Nash. Uh, this woman's like partner at the at the police force uses a computer program to match up these other shady aliases that they've uncovered, and he uses a computer program to somehow get yeah. to the get to his real name using the letters in the previous names. Was this was back when computers were still mysterious, <laughs> and they had untold powers, and there could have very well been a program that did that. Who knew? Probably the uh, least used computer program in the history of the police force. Never worked before. Let's let's give me these six names. What what can they form? Oh, Russell Nash, that's him. We got oh, definitely. Him. Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> you know what's really disappointing is Brenda Wyatt starts out as such a strong female lead. And by the end of the movie is reduced kind of like a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. That's the only part like looking back, how much better it could have been with her part. I mean, she's she's a forensic uh, investigator working with the police. Also, happens to be by uh, coincidence of plot, uh, an expert in ancient swords, and these guys just happen to be fighting with ancient swords. 
but like the whole scene where he's going to take her out for a date and you know you realize it's a sting operation because he just wants to see his katana like that was in my opinion very well thought out mm-hmm. but then they didn't know what to do with her after that yeah after she confronts him at the antique store uh and he basically says you know i'm an immoral let's do it and basically that's what happens the movie is already at its climax so mm-hmm. you know yeah, brenda uh, wyatt would get a more interesting role the the one part at the end where he does finally take out kurgan and like the spirits are like consuming him and he's hanging in the middle of this warehouse or wherever they were i thought that was really well shot it oh, looks man. super cool for having been done in 1986 there was one scene or one second that I noticed where the wires hanging out, hanging up Lambert were literally in the shot. And it was like <laughs> in plain view. I wanted to pause it and screenshot it, but I was like, was maybe this now you mentioned the director's cut. I wonder if they added a few extra scenes and was like, we don't have the budget to fix that wire. Just put it in. Yeah, it's just in. I, well, I mean, talk about budget. Like one of the most laughable things that would have made this movie would have taken away its all credibility. They wanted after uh, the producers wanted, not Russell Mulcahy, after Kurgan gets beheaded, they wanted him to turn into a dragon. Oh my God. And Connor would have to fight him again. And the producers like, we think that's going to play very well. <laughs> and Russell Mulcahy's like, thank God it wasn't in the budget. My God. <laughs> I shudder to think what that would have looked like in 1986. Oh, I would have looked like Puff the Magic Dragon. It would have been animated mm-hmm. dragon. It would have been terrible. What were the well, other Highlander movies like? And what was the timeline of the TV series? Oh, man. Whew. Okay. So the series was probably the best follow-up to the original movie. Uh, Highlander 2 was called uh, The Quickening and was Russell, Russell McKay, he directed, came back to direct the second one, but he had, so, he had so limited control over the story that he actually asked for his name not to be included. Wow. Yeah, so that and that actually became the movie that kind of took him off the bench uh, for bigger projects, and it, it was terrible. It was uh, they decided to give the immortals a backstory that they were aliens from the future oh and were coming God. back in time as a prison sentence, and they tried to made it. They tried to make it like Blade Runner, but it was terrible. And Sean was, Connery was in it. I'm looking up the wiki right now. Well, uh, that was Christoph Lambert said, "I'm not doing it unless Sean comes back." So basically they wanted to go on a vacation together and they're like, okay, we'll do it and film Highlander too. And it was definitely, they're definitely both in vacation mode filming this movie. Oh my gosh. Michael uh, Ironside. Yeah. Also. They actually, they, they continue with the rest of the series as if two and three never happened. <laughs> so three is called, I think the final dimension and Mario uh, Van the, Peebles, the sorcerer, the sorcerer, the sorcerer. Okay. I can't, I think it's had a couple titles. I'm not sure. Yeah. So basically during the, the fight with the Kurgan, these three immortals get trapped in ice and they're effectively dead. They're out of the game. And then when they're discovered, they're immortal again. And Connor's got to defeat them again to get the prize a second time, which I mean, makes no sense on so many mm-hmm. levels. Uh, but I think, again, yeah, might be beautifully shot. I can't remember. Yeah, let me let uh, me correct myself because you're right. It, do, it has several titles. It's been, it's labeled as The Magician, The Final Dimension, and The Final Conflict. So, wow, a lot of names. All, all terrible. Uh, and then the series uh, stall, uh, starred Adrian Paul, who, another B-list actor who, uh, who came in 
partly because of his martial arts, par- par- partially because he was just good looking. And I think they did six seasons of that show. Some of it's very good. Uh, the first two are okay. They brought in a writer called David Abramowitz, I think, for season three, and the, sh- the show got significantly better. Mm. And they, they answer questions like, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember episodes, but I really can't. But there's something like, okay, so there's a myth about the oldest immortal. So let's meet that guy. What does that look like? You know, if the guy's been around for thousands of years, you know, or uh, what happens if it's 1996 and your 16-year-old daughter becomes immortal? What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. So they 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 do flesh out immortality, I think, a lot better than the movies can in two hours. But I think, yeah, I think that show was, from my memory, pretty good. 1992, so it it came before the second film. Did it really? Connor, Christopher Lambert reprised his role in the, as Connor in the pilot episode. Yeah, I think I remember that. So they were part of the same clan, and I actually was just looking up to the movies, and Highlander Endgame, I remember seeing this box, this DVD box. Mm. It's both of them, Adrian Ball and yeah. Christopher Lambert. I had high hopes for that movie. Not Donnie good. Yen is in that movie. Really? Your boy. My introduction to Donnie Yen was in Highlander 4, if you could believe it. Oh, my God. <laughs> a sentence no one has ever stated out <laughs> loud, I, I would imagine. Put that, put that on the metadata for this episode. <laughs> the final movie was Highlander The Source 2007, I, which premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel. I did not see it because oh, I wow. heard it was... I think I started to watch it, and about 10 minutes in, I had to turn it off. Hmm. I'm really fascinated to watch the second movie. <laughs> Don't do it. The quick the poster is amazing. It's like a fully painted Sean Connery Lambert sword in between them. The quickening. You mentioned uh, Donnie Yen, and when we were first talking about doing this episode, you had there was talk of doing a like Bruce Lee film, Donnie Yen something or other. I didn't know that you were so in, deeply ingrained in those films. It was did that happen around the same time? Were you watching bootleg movies of like Bruce Lee, or did this come later? No, I mean i I kind of always had a thing for like Jet Li and Donnie. Like the one was a big movie for me mm. when Jet Li was kind of breaking into Western cinema. I like always liked Donnie Yen, um, and I was and my father was a, a Bruce Lee fan. He liked Enter the Dragon, so it was kind of like I was into stuff he. Was but I didn't really rediscover it and kind of get back into it till I started practicing Wing Chun three years ago, and then I started watching them all again. But I, I have fond memories of watching like Big Boss and Game of Death, mm-hmm. and you know the fight between Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee at the Coliseum. Like there's just moments of that that are just or even the Last Dragon, you know, with Bruce Leroy. I used to love all those like very pulpy Channel Forty Six movies. That you would watch after school at five o'clock. I don't know. I don't know when this whole kicked off my love for pulp, but it mm-hmm. definitely carried through. Do you, what do you think of the rumors of them potentially remaking one of his earlier films? Did you hear? Did you see those stories? Yeah, that, but that's been. I feel like every five years they're like we're going to remake Enter the Dragon, mm. and it's just it. It's one of those movies I don't think you could really remake. But they're going to do it. They'll do it just to get this, the butts in the seat. But if who, were, who would do Bruce? I have I no don't idea. Know. If you were going to recommend one Bruce Lee film for someone to watch, what would it be? Tough question. I mean, you have to say Enter the Dragon because it's the most accessible. It has the most basic plot. Bruce does some great martial arts in it. 
I mean, I, that's the one. I mean, is it Donnie my Yen? favorite one? Uh, Donnie Yen. See, it depends. You could say Flashpoint. I would probably say Yip Man, the first one. That's the one to start, and then I'll kind of that'll flesh you out. Mm-hmm. On all, you know, in all his other movies, and kind of how he he does his martial arts. What are, that's what's like the, the basic thread line of his movies? Because I know with Jackie Chan, he's kind of always like a like a a cop, like or a police officer. He gets mixed up into something or other. What's like Donnie Yen's? Does he have a, like a similar thread in his films or no? Tr- not really. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff, and really, Kung Fu is it wasn't even really how he started out. Like Kung Fu films, like he's he has black belts in. Uh, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he's studied Muay Thai, he's done Western boxing. So, like, his movies don't even have, like, a clear martial arts thought either. He just kind of picks different stories. Like, he just did a movie called Big Brother where he is, like, a, a kung fu master that goes back to work as, like, a grade school teacher. It's kind of like kindergarten cop, mm. but it's Donnie Yen doing kung fu. So, like... Sounds amazing. He, yeah, I really want, I actually want to see it real bad, but... <laughs> I would say Yip Man are the only ones where he, he plays the same character doing the same style. So that's why it's probably a good jumping off point because you get the chance to do three movies that way and now a fourth on the way. And then you kind of go from there. If you really like Donnie, you can kind of jump off to other movies he's done. He fights Tyson in the third one. Really? Yeah, it's really cool. What it's was really the neat. YouTube video you linked to me and maybe Dale at some point where it was like Donnie and fighting someone in the street? It was like a seven-minute fight scene. Well, oh, that was lit. Flashpoint. Flashpoint. That was Flashpoint, where uh, yeah, he, he has the knife fight guy, and they end up in the middle of the street, and the cars mm-hmm. are going by. I mean, he like he's good friends with Michelle Yeoh, so they do movies together. Mm. What was the last? Was, what was the last American movie she was just in? What oh, was she in what was the big one that she was in? I feel like I, we saw, just saw her in something. No, we just saw Police Story. We didn't oh, that's see right. That's maybe that's what I'm thinking of. That movie's like 20 years old. <laughs> did, did, I think she's in a new Star Trek show, but I'm not 100% The one that's on the CBS it. app? Yeah, the streaming, because CBS really needs their own streaming network. Listen, they we're going to have 30 different apps we're paying $5 to a month, and they all win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cable's back in a, just a different form. <laughs> you were just telling us uh, offline that you're switching phone carriers. Did yeah, that happen yet? No, I have to pay off Katie's phone first. Oh, I'm still paying her on her iPhone. And then the other obstacle I was thinking of, of rather, was AT and T. It's a locked phone, so I would have to rebuy a new phone for her if I were to go to Verizon. Mm. The old Pixel oh, yeah. is unlocked. I don't have to worry about yeah. mine. Well, yeah, what do you think about switching her over to Android? What's her What's her vibe there? She's she's trepidatious, mm-hmm. more so than I was. I like frustration and money be the the bailing out factor for me. Well, I think if you pay off her phone, I think AT&T will unlock it at that point. Really? Yeah, you should ask them to confirm. And I think at that point also now most, I think every iPhone is like all network capable, I think. Like, so you okay. can take so that no, phone. Like, GSM, CDMA thing anymore yeah. that doesn't exist? We, I think they used to be separate back in the day, but they might all be, like, workable in one phone. So you have to check Somebody that, Somebody in too. IT just rolled their eyes when I said that. 
<laughs> the whole, the Highlander, I, the whole IT department just rolled their eyes. If they weren't rolling <laughs> their eyes at your Highlander knowledge <laughs> and they didn't stroke out by now. You know, I didn't the, really realize I knew that much about it until we started talking. I was like, wow, well, I know most of this stuff. I'm, you know, Highlander sounds like it's ripe for a comic book franchise. I wonder if they, they have ever a comic. Com- yeah. Yeah, it was really, uh, the ones about Connor were really good. I never read the ones about uh, Adrian Paul. Mm. I think Duncan, Duncan was his name. Duncan McLeod. When did they come out? Were they like in the 90s or more recent? I think early double aughts. Early double aughts. Mm-hmm. I wonder who the publisher was. There And there's been talk of a Highlander reboot for about 10 years, like movie mm. wise. I could see but, that being like a Netflix original or something. Yeah, or make it a 12 episode Netflix series. Uh-huh. Probably. I'd be into that. Yeah. Just do the original story, man. Don't go to Planet Immortal and send it back to time. Just do the first Planet story. Planet Immortal. <laughs> I can't. It's oh called, uh, did God. I mention in this episode already? I used to know that too, what the planet was called. Is that from Highlander 2? That, that Highlander 2. But if you, if you, it's two stories. In Highlander, the theatrical release, they're aliens. And in Highlander, the renegade version, which Russell Mulcahy went and recut it later, um, they're just from the future, sent back in oh time. God. It makes I, a little more sense. I have the wiki still open, and the last line of the intro section is, the original theatrical edition is considered one of the worst films ever released. Absolutely. <laughs> True. <laughs> Oh my god! I need to see. We, I think the next episode you're on, we have to watch Highlander <laughs> Highland too. The quickening, <laughs> both versions. Oh man, uh, I might have to lift my own self ban on drinking uh, on podcasts if we do that. My thanks to dear friend Jonesy, waxing poetic on Highlander, and also a little Donnie Yen. You can follow him on Twitter if you want, at Jonesy Loves Beer. Otherwise, be sure to check out our Paper Keg podcast catalog, which is available on Apple Podcasts and, of course, Google Podcasts. If you dug this episode, consider sharing it, maybe? Writing an Apple Podcasts review? And maybe even telling your friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.